0: This is Relentless Daring on Podbean.com. Welcome to Land of Bourbon and Bad Decisions. This is Relentless Daring on Podbean.com and the Podbean app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts at. So last week, I had the great pleasure of having a Skype discussion with Mr. Andrew Heaton of the Political Orphanage and Alienating the Audience, as well as Reason Magazine and Reason.com. And we were discussing what happened at the White House and what happened with everything going on afterwards. Now, Andrew is far more libertarian than I am. And to be blunt, he has never been a huge fan of Donald Trump as a president or presidential candidate. However, we still had a great friendly conversation, even though we didn't agree on a lot of things. Um... But I think that's part of adulting is being able to have a conversation with someone that doesn't agree with you. Someone that can say, well, here's why I think you're wrong. And then cogently lay it out. I love Andrew for that fact is that he's a very, very down to earth person who has no issues with saying, well, okay, I understand why you're saying that and why you think that, but here's why I think you're wrong. And then, you know, lay out his opinion and, You can go, oh, and have a nice, reasonable way of discussing things. It was a great conversation with him. Um, I'm going to apologize for my half of the audio. I was, you know, at my job, and I did have to use my Bluetooth headset to have the conversation. And so it didn't pick up as well as his did, being able to talk directly into his phone So I'm a little fuzzy sounding, a little distant. So I apologize on my half of the audio content. But again, it was a great conversation. And I look forward to being able to have another conversation with Andrew in the future. Because, you know, when you have differing opinions and you don't devolve into shouting at each other because I'm right and you're in sin. It makes these conversations down the road a little bit easier to happen. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Mr. Andrew Heaton. All
1: right, and it's recording now. So, yeah, great. Uh, okay, well, uh, well, uh, nice to hear from you. Happy New Year!
2: Happy New Year uh, to you too, Andrew. Uh, so, I'm going to preface this conversation with. There's a lot that happened last week at the Capitol that neither of us are thrilled with at all. Uh, Yes. I remember being on Twitter and all of a sudden seeing a tweet from Elijah Schaefer pop up that they breached the Capitol. It's like, what the hell is going on here? And that I wasn't able to see anything until later in the day, when I was able to actually turn on TV and see the footage and, it was complete mayhem.
0: Yes, very much so.
2: But I think what one of the biggest problems I've noticed, though, is, don't get me wrong, I believe Donald Trump did have a role to play in it, and this is kind of someone who voted for Donald Trump. And a lot of that, I believe, is the two and a half months he spent, we won the election, we're going... We're going to show the fraud that occurred, blah 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 blah. Stop the steal, but and it, and it got people wild up to the point of this happened. But I think one of my biggest problems with it is the inconsistency. Is okay, Donald Trump was wrong. I admit this. I accept this. But where were these people in the media blaming Donald Trump who? all summer long with the BLM protests that broke into riots, you know, where were they condemning violence,
1: you know? Well, I, I've, I've heard that refrain quite a lot, and I would caution you to avoid getting stuck in teeter-totter thinking. Teeter-totter right. thinking is what, what, what I describe as when it, we, we, we tend to have a, a media framework on both the left and the right that understands everything as a referendum on whether Republicans or Democrats are better. Like, literally everything must be understood through this story. So if I say something negative about Obama, somebody will respond with, yes, but Bush did this thing. And my response is like, okay, then Bush also did poorly on that thing. Uh, because I, I, the point I'm not communicating is Democrats are good or Republicans are good or Democrats are bad or Republicans are bad. I'm looking at the situation, and more importantly, I'm looking at the system. So I, I've, I've seen a lot of that kind of whataboutism of where were you know where where was the media etc cetera, etc cetera, and sort of to, to basically reframe the question yet again as are Republicans or Democrats better and who's worse and who's the hypocrite and I I and honestly I don't care that's that's not where my head's at um uh yeah like 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 pri- destruction of private property is bad mobs are bad uh, rioting is bad. Uh, 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 graffiti is bad, all of those things are bad. So yes, yeah, so if people uh, cause property destruction and violence, if they were hurting anybody with BLM, then they should be taken to justice and should be uh, prosecuted the same way that the folks that came into the Capitol were. But but to me, that's sort of eliding the actual real story, which is why did this happen? How do we avoid it in the future? So I, I guess point taken on all of that, but but it doesn't really alter my opinion on Trump at all, nor about how we should be proceeding. I, I think it's it's kind of a Um, it's fighting a fight that I I think is actually kind of an old and tired one. We need to move past.
2: Right. And and, and my big thing is, what about-ism? I agree. Saying, well, what you did was wrong, so therefore it's okay if I do it. Right. That's not the point I'm trying to make. I'm one of those people seeing inconsistency drives me out of my mind. And so I think that's that's where I get hung up on Okay, Maxine Waters standing there with a bullhorn saying if you see members of the cabinet at a restaurant at a gasoline station make the crowd get in their faces. You know, that that gets excused, but you know, everything else happened in the Capitol wasn't.
1: Uh, that's just kind of where I'm at all. Yeah, you know, and, and Tyler, I'm very much with you. I, I am also a stickler for consistency. I, I actually prefer people that disagree with me but have consistent opinions over people that kind of agree with me and are, and and have inconsistent opinions because it's it's harder for me to interact with them because I, I tend to be a fairly consistent thinker. So I agree. Like I like I am equally um, uh, disturbed by. You know, the, the the growing thing of if we don't like a legislator, let's go to his house and, you know, threaten his family or mm-hmm. let's let's we'll just we'll go into restaurants and, and shout at Ted Cruz or whatever. I, I think that's also bad. However, I think it's also worth pointing out that there are, um, well, it might be sort of uh Qualitatively the same, the the quantity or the impact is very different. So uh, it's it's uh, not okay. I, I I don't particularly care for Ted Cruz. I didn't vote for him when I was in Texas, but I also don't think we should hound his family when they're at dinner or, or any political leader for that matter. I just I, I think that that's adding fuel to the fire rather than helping us get to a better place. Right. But I would also say that going into a restaurant and yelling at Ted Cruz is a, a magnitudes less bad than breaking into the Capitol and killing people. So right. w- while, while, while those types of complaints are, are well-situated on progressive media and progressive politicians, the scope of what they're doing is much, much, much less than what Trump was doing. And so I think that it makes sense for us to be focusing on Trump's culpability for the, the riot at the Capitol in particular.
2: Right. And, and, and I agree to an extent. Um, but Yep. You know, at the same time, it's one of those. I mean, I don't even know anymore because we we spent four. well, I'm not going to say four years. That we spent what the last twenty years with both sides equally yelling back and forth <laughs> at each other about you know Bush lied, people died, Obama was this, Trump was that. Yeah. And for twenty years, it's just been. You know, two encampments throwing stones at each other. And right. it was a matter of time before something like that happened.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think you're very right about that. And, and I think uh, the, the, the partisanship has become the, the story rather than the, the background for it. Right. And on my end, what I try and do to get past that is I try and focus on rather than that, that that, that teeter totter action of, you know, who, who's the bad guy in this situation, the left or the right. I try to step away from that look and go, OK, what, what is the problem here? What's causing the problem and how do we fix it? So for for when I when I look at the riot story, I'm less concerned about media coverage or political reaction to it and, and look at, OK, what 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 led us to this point? And, and I think the, the riot, uh, the lion's share of that falls at Donald Trump's feet. Uh, I'm not going to hold him. Legally accountable for the deaths, I don't think that that is something that you could you could lay at his feet. But the the instigation of the riot itself is directly caused by him. And so then the the questions that I am most concerned about are, you know, how, how do we address this? What are the steps? Not not whether Democrats have covered it in a good way or a bad way, but what would be the best way to approach Donald Trump on this? And I'm I'm of a divided mind on this. Uh, I I am I have been a very very vocal Trump critic from the beginning, but I I try and be a, a pragmatist as well. So. With with Trump, um, I would say that in this instance, probably the Twenty Fifth Amendment would be the best way to handle it, and we're basically doing a soft version of that right now, um, absent legislative action. And then, in terms of impeachment and removal, uh, the the questions for me are: one, uh, is he is he deserving of impeachment and removal? And two, if we did it, would the impact of it be positive? But by which I mean, you know, would it would, would removing Trump from office retroactively or at the moment? Would that end up causing more mayhem than than not doing so at the end of his term? Which I think is a good question. Uh, but that's kind of where my head's at. I'm, I'm I'm a lot less concerned about just how talking heads on the left, uh, you know, either failed to address BLM or have gone overboard with with Trump or anything like that.
2: Uh, and 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 I agree. And with the impeachment has already happened, so that, that's that's yeah. you know water under the bridge. So really the Real big question is I theoretically, the Senate can convict him in absentia once he's already out of office. Right. But that, that's one of those things is what does it mean in the long run for anything other than you know uh I've heard one talking head refer to it as a Soviet show trial. And I, I think that's hyperbolic. I want to state that now. I believe that is definitely hyperbolic. But I do I do believe that is somewhat of a show trial Just oh, look, we did this. He's, we convicted him. So now, what, he can't run again or however they decide to censure him?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I think um, while I wouldn't call it a show trial, I, I think sort of what we have to look at, you know, particularly if it's retroactive, if he's tried an abstention, the question is, is this it, it, are we doing this? Are we prosecuting him out of vindictiveness or are we prosecuting him because we want to, it, it's a necessary check on a problem in the system, which is a good question. I'd say it's absolutely motivated by vindictiveness. The motivation's there. Uh, it could be righteous vindictiveness. It could be well-earned vindictiveness, but but we really need to uh, be concerned with what what is the impact of this and what is the consequence of this going to be? And I'm, I'm of a mixed mind on that. Uh, I think I would be in favor of removing him, but more so because I... I, I will admit, I, I'm on the vindictive side of things. I, I would love to throw him out of Trump. I think he's deserving of it. But I also think that we've been much too reticent to use impeachment and removal in the United States. I think it's actually kind of a rusty tool that we need to sharpen and use more frequently. We've never removed a president from office, and I think it would be good to do that. Uh, my fear is, and I think we might have already crossed this Rubicon, that impeachment will, rather than being a kind of weighty last resort will now just be a typical tool that we use uh, as a check on the president all the time, where whoever the minority power is will constantly be trying to impeach the president, and that'll be a way of slowing them down and their agenda down. I, th- I think that that will very likely happen now. I think there's a very good chance that you'll see impeachment charges brought up uh, any, any time that Congress is a, a different party than the president. But insofar as the removal goes, um, I, I th- it's, it's... You know, one, is it going to animate more violence? Uh, I think if it happens retroactively, no. I think if they were to do it now between, uh, you know, the remaining, what is it, six days or whatever that uh, Trump is in office, I think there's a very good chance you would precipitate violence and, and precipitate civil unrest and isn't a good idea to, to launch through. If they were to do it, say, uh, after the first hundred days of the Biden administration, I don't think it would have an uh, effect in terms of civil unrest. Um but I but I, I think it might be good just in terms of, of sort of setting that precedent of yeah, like we actually will remove presidents if they go too far. And I, I would have done it more. Like I would have I would have probably voted to impeach President Obama when he uh, when he went into Libya. I, I feel very strongly that you shouldn't be toppling foreign regimes without the express permission of Congress. It's not your job to do that. It's your it's it's Congress's job to authorize military action. And I, I think he stepped outside of the the remit of the executive by doing so so i I would actually be much more trigger happy with impeachment and removal in general um so that's kind of where my head's at but i I don't know can you can you convince me that the impact would be negative that that there would be unforeseen consequences to this that would would uh uh be malignant towards the government in the future
2: well i don't know if i can see anything that would bring a uh bring a malignancy against the government if Donald Trump work would be removed from office be- before the 20th. Uh, because I, I think it's, it'd be a lot like the first impeachment, where a lot of people are going to go, okay, this is a waste of money, but it's over now. Mike Pence, you've, you've got the range for the next five minutes, whatever the case is. But I think what's the, one of the bigger problems, though, is Looking at the culture of the Republican Party, how how much of it is centered around uh, a very core, uh, almost uh, I don't want to say oligarch; it's not the right word. But there's a very set and defined system. And then when Donald Trump got the got the nod through, you know, his very distinct brand of populism, which in 2015, 2016, I I couldn't buy into. But he has a very distinct role in the kind of shop attitude that he was he was fighting a system that I think would now be used if he were to be removed. The power to be in the Republican Party was pretty much hold that over anyone who's viewed as an outsider. And I think I think it could squash, you know, certain grassroots efforts within the party on a national platform.
1: OK, so you, you see it as less having like legal or governmental ramifications and being more of a, a sort of cultural impact on the Republican Party.
2: Yeah, I do. Um, governmental wise, you're moved on top of five days less in, in the office. It, it's not going to change anything other than it's Mike Pence signing all the paperwork versus Donald Trump. And a lot of of all that's already being handled. Mm -hmm. But... I I honestly don't see a lot of legal ramifications or as far as... um, I believe there would be some protests in the streets. I don't know if they necessarily turn violent after what happened at the Capitol. I think there'd be, you know, loud, angry people, but who are more who are more cautious about getting unruly, who would want to protest. But I think I think the bigger thing would be, especially if you get a lot of the uh, uh, big wigs and the Republicans in the Senate who, who would be voting for Donald Trump because they're voting to, to convict Donald Trump who, because they've been fighting with him the last, Two, four years, however long they've been in the office, uh, Susan Collins, Kenneth Rodney, Mitch McConnell. I think a lot of them it, it would help squash any sort of uh, grassroots uprising from you know on a national level, where no, you're going to stick in line with us. You're not going to go rogue like Donald Trump did.
1: Well, I mean, I'll say, I, I certainly prefer establishment Republicans over populist Republicans, so that wouldn't really bother me if that was the outcome of it. But I don't think it's very likely all the same because the what 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 Republicans fear is getting primaried. they, they don't they don't fear they don't fear post hoc action of of their their office holding, right? like if 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 the thing that Mitch McConnell is holding over somebody's head is that we we might dishonor you after you leave. That, that doesn't strike me as an actual threat to anybody. The, the threat would come if you're going to get primaried. You're not, you're not going to get primaried from the establishment. You're going to get primaried from the extremists, which right now are the Trump folk. So I, I, I think the, the establishment is very much in a rearguard action right now against the, the nascent uh, Trumpist people who are, who are probably going to be the order of the day either way moving forward.
2: And, and uh, I think. Another issue that I tend to have, um, and I, is a, is a, a categorical thinking on things, which is fine because I've already said categorical thinking. So, yeah, it's my own hypocrisy there. Um, uh, if it, if it, sorry if it's loud. Uh, it's kind of snowing. This little, this little truck doesn't do very well in the snow.
1: Not a problem.
2: <laughs> but, um, uh, I I think that there is a I think there is a path forward for people who go okay the the establishment Republicans they don't like us because we're not them but also at the same time you know the Donald Trump way of just go through and smash all the glass all the uh, all the stained glass windows. that's also not the good way to do it. I, I honestly for the Republican Party, there is a way or for, for every gay Republican, I think there's a way forward that not the Trump populism that you know, like people like the Lincoln Project have been, you know, oh, this is so bad, and yeah, we we can't have this and and that establishment. That was, how does Steve Dace put it? The only, the only people that Republicans hate more than Democrats are their own base. Because I think, and that's really what helped brought, lead to the rise in Donald Trump is because, like I said, for 20-some years, you know, Republicans looking back to uh, Ronald Reagan, we've been getting, Republicans have been getting fed Ronald Reagan-type uh, ideas. And then we, we put these, these uh, politicians in the office, and then, yeah, we're, we're going to walk that back because, you know, we need to get things done. And so I think that's where, you know, Donald Trump came in, and that's where he got, you know, so many people behind him, especially to, what, he increased his vote totals from 2016, 2020, by how many billions of votes? And that... Something you really don't see a lot of i, I don't think I've ever seen that I can remember
1: uh, so something- so I, I I think that I, I, when it comes to something like like impeachment where there's a legal action i I don't think it's a a good idea to to weigh that heavily the internal political ramifications of it. I, it, it makes sense to me to, uh, to to think about how it's going to affect the system in terms of governmental operation. But in terms of sort of the flavor impact that it's going to have, I think that should be a secondary consideration. Let me, let me show you where my head's at on this. Let, let's say okay. there's a mayor of a town and the mayor of the town has a problem with one of the city councilmen and says, uh, that city councilman raped a girl. He absolutely raped a girl. He clearly, he raped her. Um, and he's saying something that's demonstrably false that would not not work in a court of law and would, in fact, be libel in a court of law. And then it's somebody finally attacks that city councilman. We're, we're debating whether or not he is culpable for that attack that happened because of the libel that he was spewing. But if we were to now approach this and go, well, but but if we if we get rid of the mayor, a different type of mayor might happen. There might be a different kind of guy that gets elected in the future if we remove this mayor. That, to me, is secondary to is he culpable for the problems that occurred, and is it best to remove him based on those actions rather than the flavor that he represents?
2: All right. And, uh, yeah, that's, a good, that's a good point. I mean, I think, I think I'm thinking farther down the road than, okay, what's going to happen with the impeachment and what's going to happen with the uh, government later? You know, as soon as you know one's gone and the next guy steps in, I was kind of looking more fifty thousand feet than looking more. You know.
1: Oh 10, no, um, I, I I agree. I guess the thing I'm cautioning against is let let's say that like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez committed a felony, and we were uh-huh. debating whether or not to remove her from Congress. If if our if our rationale was well, I don't want to remove her from Congress because that that might mean that the establishment. Will prevail within the, the Democratic Party as opposed to the populists. I would say, well, it's not. It's we're we're not debating where we want the party to go. We're debating whether or not she committed. We want her uh, to be in
2: office or not? Yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly, but, an impeachable I, I offense.
2: Understand. Right, and I, I have a really bad habit of thinking bigger than what the argument is sometimes. So forgive mm-hmm. me on that one. Um, but yeah, and as far as, as it, what what would happen? If this were sort of. Really, but like you pointed out earlier, no U.S. president has ever been removed after being impeached.
1: No, yeah. but they did they, they, they did remove various um, ex-presidential powers from, uh, from from James Buchanan. Uh, J- James Buchanan, we don't really think of him now, but uh, you know he, he's the president who's, who's presiding over the country in the lead-up to the Civil War was very, very unpopular in his day. Um, To give you an example of kind of the stuff that happened when he left, um, he had, Congress had commissioned a portrait to be painted of James Buchanan as his presidential portrait. Uh, And then once he left, was so angry with him that they actually refused to pay the bill. And then the, the painter went to, uh, Buchanan and said, hey, you should foot the bill. And Buchanan said, I didn't commission it. It's your business. And So his presidential portrait stayed in a guy's attic for like 60 years uh, because Congress refused to pay for it. They also revoked his franking privileges for a while, less of an issue now. But it used to be that if you were if you were an ex-president, you automatically got to mail anything for free. That was one of the benefits you got of being a president. They they did remove that for a time. So there are certain precedents that are that are in place of revoking privileges attributed to an ex-president.
2: Right and yeah, you know, if if they want to remove Donald Trump's uh, his pension because of all this that happened, uh, yeah, I'm fine with that. The, the man is a self self declared billionaire, so I mean he's been turning over his uh, presidential pay for the last four years to various government agencies to help go to their funding, charities, stuff like that. So it, it's not like he's he's going to be missing out on that pay if they take his. Uh, and they take attention. I'd be more concerned that as a former president, if they took his uh, secret service detail that he's you know, rightfully entitled to, just because I think that would set a very dangerous precedent down the road for, again, uh, one party gets into power. They don't like the president. So, okay, now we're going to take all these privileges and then it opens up former presidents
1: to attack and this, that, and the other. Uh, I, I agree with that insofar as um, Secret Service goes. Um, much as I dislike Donald Trump, I wouldn't remove his Secret Service detail. Uh, I think he would probably be a target. Um, and uh, much as I don't like him, I don't want to make him a, a target for physical attack or uh, political assassination or reprisals of that kind. So uh, I wouldn't remove that from him. I think I would remove – I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think any of this will happen, incidentally. Um, oh, hello?
2: Yeah, I'm still here. I'm
1: still here. Um, uh, thanks. Uh, I don't think any of this will happen, incidentally. I, I, I think that this will basically go away. I, I, the likelihood that um, the Senate would actually move to convict him is is nothing. I mean, they've got, including Kamala Harris, they'll have 51 votes. Or uh, Yeah, uh, 51 votes, right? It takes a two-thirds vote in the Senate to remove a president. So that's just not going to happen. It would require half of the Republicans to vote to remove a president that wasn't even in an office anymore. So it's very academic at this point. Um, yeah. that said, yeah, I, th- I think I'd remove his ability to run for, off- if, if I, if I were in the Senate, I would vote to remove him. Um, and, uh, and, you know, withhold, uh, office in the future. Again, I, I don't think he'll run in the future either. I, I don't like everybody's kind of talking about it. It's four years from now. He's what, like 80 years old or that, 78 something. I don't, that, don't think it's very likely. Like, Joe huh? Yeah. He's Joe Biden's said yeah. yeah. The likelihood that either of them will run again to me is a pretty minimal chance. Uh, yeah, but, I, I would, I would, I would remove Joe that though, because, <laughs> huh? as a likelihood, Joe Biden completing his first
2: term, I think is actually fairly minimal just because he's he's been showing signs of cognitive decline. And also with his age, I think there's a lot of uh, health risk that could come come into play that maybe voluntarily, he, he invokes the 25th Amendment and steps down, hands it to, to Kamala Harris. But that's- Possibly.
1: I, I I will say I think that the cognitive d- decline is is very much overstated. I've I've seen some of the videos of him allegedly being senile and it's it's usually just he's at a campaign rally. It's his eighth campaign rally of the day and he he misspeaks and then corrects himself. So I, I don't I, I think he's probably less energetic than he was and, and you know, probably doesn't have as pristine to memories as he did when he was like fifty. But I, I don't think that he's uh, mentally incompetent uh, or or anywhere near the twenty fifth. That said, though, I, I I do think Trump is delusional, which very much disturbs me. Like I, I wasn't sure during the uh, you know, two and a half months after he lost the election whether that was cynical and he knew he lost but was willing to lie to the American people and delegitimize American democracy in order to steal the election and stay in office, or whether he actually thought he had lost the election or he had won the election and was just mentally incapable of actually pursuing any line of thought that didn't involve him winning. And I I think at this point, we're probably in the latter. I I think that he is actually delusional, which is very disconcerting that the, even for the remaining, you know, whatever that is, six days of the Republic or six days of his administration, that that the president is mentally incompetent and can't actually perceive or act upon reality. What do you think?
2: Well, I don't know because Yeah. You know, Donald Trump has always been one of those speak it to existence kind of people. Uh if, if he was a religious person you might talk might refer to him as a as a name it claim it Christian. But I just I just don't know if i am be willing to go out as far as say delusional or delute deluded maybe but I don't know about delusional, where... Do
1: you, do, you, do you think the election was unequivocally rigged?
2: I do not think it was unequivocally rigged.
1: I, I do, do you think, think I, that there's any, any evidence of it that would stand up in court to indicate that, that it was, in fact, falsified or stolen?
2: I, here's the best way I can say it. Based off the analytics, uh, of you know thing, you know, the how the polling numbers with exit polling, who was voting, who was voting for whom and the presidency and all that versus these ungodly numbers coming in the middle of the night. I think if there are questions, much like uh, in Ohio in 2004, there were questions about the voting machines, they looked into it. I think if they got, went back and they looked at, and they said, "Okay, we found these votes that shouldn't have been counted. Throw them out. Or these, or these states, through executive action or judicial action, change election law. Midstream, that's not their place. Throw these votes out. If Donald, if Donald Trump won, Donald Trump won. The integrity election is, is there. if you do all that, and Joe Biden still won, then Joe Biden still won. Uh, we have, we've maintained." Electoral
1: integrity. Uh, so so we, we we have done that. There have been, um, I mean, multiple state-level executive inquiries that have all turned up that there was no electoral fraud. Uh, and we've had, I think, 79 different court cases waged by the Trump campaign, all of which were lost, many to uh, Trump-appointed federal judges. So, for example, in in the state of Georgia, um, the, the now infamous phone call that Trump had with the Secretary of State for Georgia, who was a Republican serving underneath a Republican governor... Um, uh, Trump, you know, was saying, you, you at one point he brings up the Dominion voting machines and, and that, you know, they've, they've clearly, um, overinflated the amount of votes for Biden and the secretary of state, who again is a Republican goes, Mr. President, we've, we've done a hand count on these. So this is to say we've now, we've now verified through physical ballots and the, the difference just isn't there. There's, there's not a discrepancy anywhere near that, which would tip the scales on yeah, this. I, I, I...
2: As well like it, like there's you know,
1: like eleven 1, hundred boats I think was a discrepancy right so, so 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 we we we've, we've already really had that inquiry, and it's turned up that there there wasn't anything i mean it, it it is a it is a product of delusion like Trump thinks that um he could not have lost he he thinks that people were bringing in you know bags and bags of fake ballots, and that's the only way that he could have lost uh georgia and uh i i uh, I, I I don't see a g- given the the a massive amount of inquiry and evidence at this point, which is explicitly available to the president, um and, and the team of people reaming through it, I, I don't I don't think there's any ambiguity left at this point, which means that he is either lying or he is um, unable to come to grasp with reality.
2: And which if I say I have already accepted the fact that Donald Trump is not going to be president on noon on January twentieth, and I think a lot of America has. And then it also helped that Donald Trump has so latched to some of these, uh, you know, these surrogates. You know, when Trump's own legal team has has to separate themselves from Glenn Wood and uh, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, because okay, they're off in La La Land. And like I, I was at the point with a uh, Sydney Powell, you know, I want to release the fracking, Well, okay, put up or shut up because you know if if you have the evidence, make it public. I get it. You don't want to you don't want to show your hand, but you know you got to give something to give people a little faith. That, yeah, well, and, okay, I mean, and, you and do and have it, evidence?
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I and mean, that's that's the thing is it was a bluff. There was no evidence. It was it was. I mean, just it's not I mean, they've got plenty of stuff that they they've got plenty of, you know, anecdotes and things like that that they can bring up on on television. But that's a different game. Like there's nothing for I I can come on television and and say, you know, there was this weird thing that this guy saw that I read about on Facebook that you can do that. You can't do that in a court of law. And they they never had any of that stuff. But I I think that also kind of indicates the incredible paucity of leadership that Trump had as president. Uh, He was very bad Uh, and is very bad at being able to put teams together, being able to execute anything, um, he routinely picks incompetent sycophants. Uh, for example, uh, uh, Sid Powell and and some of the other people you mentioned, Rudy Giuliani. Um, I, I'd say I, I don't know that I'd call Giuliani incompetent. I would call him feckless. I mean, he's he, he's been very clearly lying in, in the pursuit of all of this, uh, which I get as an attorney. It's not like he's thinking like a courtroom attorney. It's not his job to. Uh, promote the truth. It's his job to promote his client. And and that's what he's been doing with Donald Trump. But the the, the fact that his legal team has been so abysmal uh, is to me pretty emblematic of the entire Trump administration of just not being a good leader, not being a good manager, not being a good executive. Uh, And uh, um, I'm I'm glad I haven't been in government the last four years. I think it would have been very difficult.
2: Oh, I I, I couldn't imagine uh, trying to be Either a staffer or even a you know, a bureaucrat in you know some low to mid level position where you know you hear all the time about you know claims of um, managerial misconduct at certain levels of government because oh deep state deep state and then you're you're the guy who it's your job to process paperwork and going all I'm doing is
1: You know, make sure this is done in kit, filled out right, right. Yeah, you know, like, and I, I do, I, I do appreciate. I, I think that in a healthy system, I think that you have a tension between the establishment and populist forces. I think you need both. You need people that are institutionalists who know how the system works and are running the system and want the system to improve. You also need people that are outsiders that are coming in and keeping it fresh and keeping the Establishment from becoming ossified and self-serving and corrupt. So I think those are all th- those are those are good impulses to have. Uh, I think Trump tapped into that, but was a, a horrible person to lead those impulses because Trump doesn't actually have an ideological core. He's not a real conservative. He doesn't have the the values that conservatives hold. He's he doesn't. I mean, we're we're talking about a guy that can't name a, a Bible verse or a book of the Bible. Who, who says that uh, he hasn't asked for God's forgiveness because he doesn't need it. Like, that's, that's his approach to Christianity, and it, it also is very much his approach to politics, right? So I, right. I think to have such a, a, a narcissistic kind of low-wattage thinker uh, who ha, has so many poor impulses running all of this was a very bad way to do it. Reagan, I would say, was a very good example of somebody that could kind of meld conservative ideas to populism. Um, and I'm, I'm not a Republican or a conservative, but I, I think that he was a good bridge between those two things. Whereas Trump, I think uh, th- there's a, a Plato quote that a tyrant is somebody who can't control themselves, who tries to control other people. And while Trump has not had the the legal capacity to be a tyrant, I would say that his temperament very much lends itself to that of, of somebody that really doesn't have a lot of impulse control or forward thinking abilities, uh, who's who's doing the bowl in a China shop thing. And I, I don't I don't think it's been very very productive or very useful for the, the country. I, I think it's actually set us back really. The only good stuff I would say about Trump is that, um, he, he didn't get us into any new wars and he deserves credit for that. He's, he's basically maintained the status of, of our, uh, theaters abroad. Um, we we've, you know, we've damaged international relations, et cetera, et cetera, but we haven't gone out and killed any new groups of people. So kudos to him for there. Um, uh, I realize his judicial picks are very, uh, very controversial, but I tend to be more on the originalist side of things. So it doesn't terribly bother me that he's got a lot of judicial picks in. Uh, but other than that, I I think that he's been pretty abysmal in, in every other track record. He, he, uh, we were already reaching record deficit and uh, and debt under him prior to the pandemic. Uh, the the federal government was going on a spending spree. Uh, there's there's absolutely zero evidence of him and his administration being uh, fiscally restrained, or fiscally conservative. Um, neither are the Democrats, but he didn't do anything to pull that back. Um, and I, I think that the the sort of the underlying problems that you mentioned earlier, Tyler, of you know, both sides screaming at each other, and you know, Obama did this, Bush did this. I, I think that he was a cataly- a catalyzing effect on all of that. He didn't cause it, but he did enhance it and speed it up. And we're going to have to work very hard to get back to a place where we can actually solve problems and work on things the next four years, as opposed to just break apart into these kind of cultural, political tribes that hate each other, which which are pretty um, uh, pretty unproductive in terms of, of being able to help anybody. And with that, Tyler, unfortunately, I've got to go, but it was very nice talking to you. Thank you for inviting me on your program.
2: All right, no problem. Uh, glad to have you on. Uh, look forward to talking to you again.
0: Great. All right. Have a good year. Bye. Yep, you too. Bye. And that concludes my interview with Andrew Heaton. Again, Andrew, thank you so very much for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Look forward to having you back again sometime. Um. I just want to say that with everything that has been going on in Washington DC in the past several weeks we really need to stop and look inwards and figure out okay what's the best way to move forward I get it there's people who are mad and they're ready to come out swinging on both sides and I understand the impulse I'm an infantryman I I know what it means to want to fight I just hope and pray that we keep all of our emotions in check that way you know we can move forward fight the fight the battle ideologically and do our best to keep blood from running in the streets so with that being said that's going to wrap up this episode again thank you andrew for coming on Uh, be sure to check out uh, my sponsor built bar go to builtbar.com uh check out the built bars they're absolutely amazing the best. Uh, protein bars you could ever try. I am absolutely serious. I'm not hyping it up. And honestly, I'm working for a commission. They're not even actually, you know, giving me money to talk about them because I'm just a brand ambassador. But hey, they're amazing, amazing things. I I just tell them, one of my friends today that I don't just sell it because yeah, they'll give me money. I sell it because they're good and I buy them myself. So BuiltBar.com, use promo code RELENTLESS, check it out. Also, go to uh, RelentlessDaring.com. At the top of the page, you will see a donate button. The show is funded by you, the listener. So hit that donate button. You can do a one-time donation. You can do a monthly donation. It just automatically comes out. It all goes into keeping this show on the air or on the Internet for you. So check it out. Uh, Please help. Uh, Also, you can buy merch there. Also, check out my other project, The Whiskey Pod. Uh, the first episode is now live, so check it out. Again, there's I've got a little bit of Whiskey Pod merch available at RelentlessStaring.com. So if you want to buy it there, by all means, go ahead, help support the show. Um, it means so much to me. It means so much to have you guys listening. Um, the four things I always ask every week on the live show. Number one, subscribe. Number two. Leave a five-star rating. That way it helps the algorithms show people, hey, there's a show you might like. Number four. Oh, my well, God, I'm skipping number three. Number three, leave a nice review. Say something nice. It's great. It, the show, blah, 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 blah. Whatever it is that you want to say that's nice. Don't be that guy. You know who you are. I'm looking at you right now, you evil person. Um, And the fourth thing. Share the podcast. Send, send this episode to a friend who you think, hey, they'll enjoy this. Send it to a person you think, hey, this will drive them up the wall. I don't care. Just share the podcast. It gets those numbers up. And just want to say thank you again so much. And as always, stay relentless. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.